Hey, thanks for downloading the show. Osha here. You're listening to this podcast and I'm really grateful for it. You know that podcasts are free to listen to. You can download them and listen to them and away you go. But they're not free to make. There are people that help me make this show and they're professional and very good at what they do and they deserve to get paid. Rachel, my executive producer, and Andy, my audio producer. So to pay Andy and Rachel. Every now and again, you might hear an ad on this show. So if you hear an ad, thank you. If you don't hear an ad, you're going to hear Dr. Carmel Harrington say something cool. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. During the day, we're exposed to loads and loads of memory. We've got to bed it down when we sleep. Now, if you're not giving yourself enough time to remember things, the brain has to make a decision about what stuff it will remember. And of course, it has a hierarchy because it has to keep you safe. And the hierarchy is it remembers the negative events. If in caveman days, I was out collecting red berries, having a great time with my friends and it was a beautiful sunny day, and I ate a red berry that made me sick and I didn't sleep that night, what do I have to remember? I don't have to remember that I had a fun day. I have to remember that the red berry made me sick. So that's what you do remember. So research shows that when we are sleep deprived, Almost all encoding of negative events occurs, but we have a drop of 60% of our positive memory encoding. So very quickly, we begin to get a very negative view of the world. That is sleep scientist Dr. Carmel Harrington, and this is episode 376 of Better Than Yesterday. Hello and welcome to Better Than Yesterday. I'm Osha Ginsberg. Thank you for being here. Thanks for downloading the show. I'm really, really glad you're here. This is the 376th episode of this show. If this is your first show, hi, welcome. My name's Osha Ginsberg. I'm a TV host. I'm an author. I'm a dad. I'm a stepdad. I'm a, uh, what else what am I doing? I'm, I'm currently a physio rehab, please dry needle me, Ryan, guy after my hip replacement surgery. And uh, I live in Sydney, Australia. And I've been making this podcast twice a week since 2013. Mondays I speak with a guest, Fridays I speak with you, and all I'm here to do is to help you make today a little bit better than yesterday. Something that you hear on this show will hopefully help you make today better than yesterday. Thank you very much for all the lovely feedback about Friday's episodes. Lately, the last couple of weeks, I've been talking about using writing as a form of mental health, so I guess mental health first aid. And um, it's interesting, actually. Dr. Harrington brings something like that up later in our conversation. So it, it's, uh, it's, in the, it's in the ether. It's in the zeitgeist. It's there. I'm glad things are resonating. Now, uh, this conversation with uh, Dr. Harrington is about sleep. It's a lot about sleep, and it's you know something we all do and probably don't do enough of. And in this conversation, Dr. Carmel and I talk about an episode that I did with Rosie Waterland back in episode 302, so about a year and a half ago or so. So... 
if you would like to explore that episode in its entirety, slide on back to episode 302 with Rosie Waterland. Here's a little taste. A lot of people think if you do end up in a psych hospital, it's because you've been dragged off by two guys in a van. But it was actually an incredibly logical thing. I, I had an appointment with my psychiatrist and I said, I think I need to go to hospital for a bit. I think I can tell that if I don't, this will go down that same path again. I was really proud of myself because it was a huge deal for me to see it coming and do something preventative rather than go to a hospital because of something catastrophic that had happened. And I stayed there for three and a half weeks and it was the smartest, best thing I did. I needed meds readjusting, so they readjusted my meds, got my sleep on track, got my diet sort of on track. It's not as dramatic and like in the movies as what people think. It's just a, a really healthy, smart thing to do if this is a problem that you have. That is Rosie Waterland, a conversation that she and I had about a year and a half ago. You'll hear Dr. Harrington and I talk about a moment that Rosie referred to. And if you want to explore the rest of that conversation, I thoroughly recommend it. It's uh, episode 302. Just scroll on back and hit go. So let me tell you about my guest today. Dr. Carmel Harrington is an Australian sleep scientist. She's really interesting. She used to be a, a biochemist, then she retrained as a, a lawyer, and then she put all that together and, and she's now a, a sleep scientist. She has helped thousands of Australians by introducing sleep health into many corporate wellness programs. She's fascinated by the power of sleep. She spent re years um, researching the devastating effects of poor or insufficient sleep, which we get into, and it's quite harrowing, actually, to be honest. She's incredibly accomplished. She is the Managing Director of Sleep for Health, which you can find out at sleepforhealth.net.au. And she's also an honorary research fellow at the Children's Hospital at Westmead in Sydney. She's also a founding member of the Sleep Health Foundation. She's written two books about sleep. The Sleep Diet is one of them, and the other one is The Complete Guide to a Good Night's Sleep. But we do talk about that quite a bit in this show. Now, just a note at the head here, as, I, as you heard me mention before, Podcasts are free to listen to, but they're not free to make. Now, I work with ResMed, a company that is in the sleep health space. I work with them as an ambassador, and this podcast is a part of the work that I'm doing with them. Paying Andy and Rachel and the team that help me make this show is really, really important. So if I can have a great conversation about something that I really believe in, something that I believe will help not only me, but also help you, and that conversation can help keep the lights on here at the podcast, then I'm happy to do that. But I wanted you to know that up front. You can find out more about the sleep assessment that Carmel talks about at resmed.com.au. That's R-E-S-M-E-D.com.au. This conversation is full of things that I just had no idea about. And I, th I thought I was all smart and stuff and knew heaps about sleep because of what I've been through in my life, but no, I got taken to school and it's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. I'm so stoked that we could speak with each other. Enjoy this conversation with Dr. Carmel Harrington. I'm really grateful to speak to you today. I've started working with ResMed in the last couple of months. They're a, I guess you'd call them a, a sleep health company. I guess that's what they are. So me and sleep have always been elusive partners. I've worked nights pretty much my whole life from the age of like 17. My first job was a roadie, so in nightclubs, you know, and working until closing time, four or five in the morning, and then being up again to load in again at one and two in the afternoon. And then I did midnight to do on radio for five years. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm currently, you know, I work on this job now. We either shoot in full daylight, so we get on set before the sun comes up and we're ready to go when the sun rises and we finish at sunset, or we start shooting at sunset and go until about quarter past, half past three in the morning. So me and sleep have been elusive. We've danced yeah. around each other my entire life. It's tough, isn't it, actually, when you've got that changing schedule. Mm. But that's where I am. And uh, I don't think, you know, I'm, I'm alone. You know, my uh, we've recently had, uh, he's nearly a year and a half now. So we've got two kids, one's 17, one's 18 months. And so on top of everything, there's also that, you know. So um, I think many, many people can, can relate to, Sleep and lack of sleep is something that does does affect your life. But you did not start out 
as someone who was an expert on sleep at all. You started out, you were in biotech, biochem? Well, it's a long, long story, really. So you've changed your career a few times and I guess a more interesting life, isn't it? But you never know what things are going to be thrown at you, do you, throughout life? So yeah. you have to respond to what comes your way. So, yeah, I, look, I love biochemistry, actually, and that's how I started my life. What, what is what is biochemistry? I mean, my wife did biotech um, before um, she had her eldest. What is biochemistry? Biochemistry is just a study of the chemistry of the body. Ah. It's really interesting. It's so interesting. So you understand like everything that happens that we do in our body is a consequence of a, a biochemical reaction. And so understanding those pathways and where those pathways can go wrong, actually I find completely fascinating and have done since I was little, to be honest. Yeah, I've always found chemistry. And when I found out there was something called chemistry of the body, I just was, wow, that's great. So the compound that I chase when I train, the compounds, the dopamine, the serotonin, the norepinephrine, the endorphins, those chemicals that my body synthesizes, it's the study of things like that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, spot on. That's exactly what we do. So now, I mean, the career's moved all over the place, but right now I'm studying the biochemistry of sleep. Right. Yeah. That That's <laughs> – how, how did you get from <laughs> – biochemistry to where you are now i was just talking to someone this morning actually about this because i love biochemistry but of course in australia as in many other places in the world the study of scientists as a scientist you don't get very well remunerated <laughs> no matter how much education or degrees you have behind you so um while i was in the middle of a biochemistry career i chose to switch and i went out to study law so i became a lawyer for a while and uh, that was really interesting. But then I swung back to, I became very interested in sleep. And so I started really searching sleep. And I actually did my PhD in um, child sleep. And then I um, moved out also, the, because ch children's sleep is pretty similar to adult sleep. So I started looking at adult sleep. And yeah, so now I'm, I'm in the corporate world looking, um, doing lots of talks and education and things like that, and also at Children's Westmead Hospital doing biochemistry of sleep in children. You know, I'm obviously very interested in children's sleep because we've got two. Yes, and I've, I've got yeah. one who's, you know, she's like in the middle of being a teenager, she's 17, and, you know, seeing how her hormonal shifts, you know, make, like she doesn't deliberately sleep in, her body's just going, nah. This is it. You are not waking up to your alarm right now <laughs> versus yeah. the other one who only has his sleep cycles are only about 40 minutes long at the moment. But as he gets older, those, they, they will get longer. So it's kind of fascinating just kind of being aware of the, the two of them and seeing. Because, I mean, before we had wearable watches and things that kind of tracked when we had REM sleep or whatever, like many people may not have been aware that they had REM cycles and things like that. What does it do for us to know you know, how long our sleep cycles might be and what we're chasing when it is we lay down in bed at night? I mean, I think we need to recognise that there's all different types of sleep. Well, not all different types. There's rapid eye movement sleep, which is your dream sleep or your REM sleep, all the same thing. And there's non-rapid eye movement sleep, which is divided into light sleep and deep sleep. The REM or REM sleep and non-REM sleep are a neurobehavioural state. So we've got particular brainwave activity and particular behaviour that characterises each of those neurobehavioural states in the same way as wakefulness is a neurobehavioural state. And so what I think overall is important to recognise is that each of our neurobehavioural states does something vital for our body and it actually enriches our body, allowing us to survive and be operating at a peak performance. So when we are awake, we do things that keep us healthy, like we exercise and we eat and we get rid of our waste products and we learn and all those sorts of things. What people love to forget now or to overlook is that that 16 hours of wakefulness is fabulous, but the eight hours of sleep, which is a magic number for adults, the eight hours of sleep is so important enabling us to do what we do when we're awake for 16 hours. If we have one and not the other. It just doesn't work. We end up not being terribly healthy. So I think that's what is really important, the take-home message is that we need our deep sleep, we our REM, our light sleep, all because we need to be healthy. And each sleep cycle for adults can be anywhere between 90 and 110 minutes. 
And as mature adults, we need about five complete sleep cycles in every 24 hours. Yeah. What happens in, you said, it's, a, that's, it's fascinating to hear that, that, that sleep is as much a neurobehavioural state as being awake is. Our, our brain doesn't shut off, that there's as much work going on while we're asleep in our brain. We're a very weird creature that we become completely defenceless and powerless for a third of every single day. Like we are completely vulnerable. It's a very, very odd thing behaviorally and, and, and um, evolutionarily to have developed. Um, it's like we, we get so strong and so good at defending ourselves and, you know, we can fight and, and claw and beat. And hang on, I'm just going to go and be completely defenseless for eight hours so I can go and do that again. It's really, really weird. We're soft and squishy and, you know, easy to eat while we're sleeping because we, we can't hear you or smell you or smell you mostly. Um, so what's happening in our brain? Our brain's obviously quite busy when we're asleep. What things are are being released in our bodies that give us that feeling of, oh, I'm rested or what's happening inside us? Why is, why is it so vital for our health? Actually, uh, to that point about us being completely defenseless, that's a very clear indicator that it's vital, right? So because we are so defenseless, then clearly it must be a vital thing that we're doing when we're sleeping. So some of the things that we're doing, for example, we release our beautiful growth hormone. So that is a hormone that goes around and repairs and it, it builds muscle cells and it restores all our bodily functions like our nervous system activity, our respiratory, our cardiovascular. So it keeps them well and healthy. The other thing we do physically when we sleep is actually fire up our immune system. And so when we have good sleep, we have our immunity at an optimum. You've often heard about people, you know, they've had really bad sleep for a couple of weeks and then all of a sudden they come down with a cold or flu. And they say, oh, it's because I haven't been sleeping well. So you know, we actually understand that there's a connection, but we don't think too much about it. And one of the major reasons why we are more susceptible to colds and flu, and in fact, some cancers, is because when we don't sleep enough, our natural killer cell activity goes down by about 50%. Now, natural killer cells are great because what they do is go around the body and mop up mutated cells or foreign bodies or foreign viruses or bacteria, keeping us well. Now, if we don't have enough sleep, we can't do that. So physically, sleep is really important in the short term and the long term. Mentally, we're doing all so much stuff. In fact, parts of our brain are more active in dream sleep than awake. And people find that really hard to understand because we often think, as you said, it's a passive state, but it's not. So our hippocampus, which is responsible for our learning and memory, our amygdala, which is our emotional center, and this other part of the brain called the anterior cingulate cortex, which is responsible for our polite social interaction, are more active in, in REM sleep than awake. So that's pretty amazing. But the other part that I think is really interesting is that the prefrontal cortex, this part here in the front of the forehead, which is responsible for the fact that we're so clever. You know, that's that clever part of the brain. And it's, it's highly developed in humans, but not many other animals. That's actually deactivated in REM sleep. And it's the only time, the 24-hour period, that that part of the brain gets a chance to rest and repair and restore. So the next day, we don't have a foggy brain. But when we don't have enough sleep, of course, guess what? We get that foggy brain. And people go, oh, you know, I can't think very well today, blah, blah, blah. And it's because they're not getting enough sleep. And their, their prefrontal cortex hasn't reset. That was the first part. I know a lot more about my brain systems now uh, as someone who lives, I have a, a, a bit of a different brain. I live with generalized anxiety disorder and um, obsessive compulsive disorder. So I had to learn a lot about how my okay. how, how my brain works. And I remember my, my the doctor that first diagnosed me had to describe to me the prefrontal cortex. It's like, oh, the, the first half hour of your day or hour of your day is so full of anxiety and fear because the part of your brain that can rationalize what's going on hasn't actually woken up yet. That's the prefrontal cortex part. So like that's the bit that can take all these weird emotions and thoughts that have just arrived out of nowhere and filling your brain full of dread. That's the part that says, oh no, they're not real. So <laughs> that part needs to wake up for you to be able to do the rational thinking part to calm yourself back down again. And once I knew that, I was like, oh, okay, I'll just have to wait for this bit of my brain to get firing, which is where coffee comes into play, Carmen. <laughs> Coffee is great. It's just you've got to use it at the right time of the day. <laughs> Talk to me about, and this is something that I, you know, I 
think a lot about my eldest. She's in her final year of high school. You talked about the hippocampus, which I had to learn about my hippocampus because I'm, I'm just such a bloody walking car wreck. I, I'm, I'm 11 years sober and I had to learn a lot about what my drinking and using did to my memory and my yeah. hippocampus and how that what I did while I was awake and also the lack of the fact that my brain couldn't get to the state where memory consolidation happened while I was asleep just left these giant gaps in my life for years in some cases. What happens to our brain as far as the things that we did in that day while we're asleep to help us remember them? Yeah, look, um, I think sleep and memory is something that is really important to understand. So memory is a really complex thing in the brain. It involves many different parts of the brain, but the gatekeeper is the hippocampus. Now, the hippocampus is very old part of the brain. It's very deep in the brain. It feeds in via the limbic system. And then when we sleep, it then goes all around the rest of the brain, okay? So it gets filed where it needs to. So when we have a dream, we're actually filing our memories. So we need to know what folder, like in a computer, we need to know what folder or file this particular memory needs to go into. So, for example, if as a child, your little baby goes to see their cousin one day, they need to go in the family folder, you know, so that next time they go there, they know, oh, well, this person's friendly, et cetera, et cetera. So what happens, that process happens when we sleep. And so if we don't get enough sleep, we actually don't bed or retain the memories as we should. And so the hippocampus is the part of the brain that actually gets affected very early on in Alzheimer's. So we can't actually move that information that we're exposed to during the day to the rest of our brain. And so what happens, this is really interesting, I think, because I'm sure you know that lack of sleep or sleep deprivation for one reason or another is, is intimately connected to depression, onset of depression. You know that already. So during the day, we're exposed to loads and loads of memory. We've got to bed it down when we sleep. Now, if you're not giving yourself enough time to remember things, bed down the information, the brain has to make a decision about what stuff it will remember. So does it remember everything across the board or does it have a hierarchy of needs to remember? And, of course, it has a hierarchy because it has to keep you safe. And the hierarchy is it remembers the negative events and not the positive events. So, for example, if in caveman days I was out, you know, collecting red berries, having a great time with my, my friends and it was a beautiful sunny day and I ate a red berry that made me sick and I didn't sleep that night, what do I have to remember? I don't have to remember that I had a fun day. I have to remember that the red berry made me sick. So that's what you do remember. So research shows that when we are sleep deprived, almost all encoding of negative events occurs, but we have a drop of 60% of our positive memory encoding. So very quickly, we begin to get a very negative view of the world. And over time, that ends up in a sad state and sad state ends up with blah, blah. So it's really amazing, isn't it? That is profound to know. So what you're saying is that if you start to have sleep issues, your brain stops consolidating and stops remembering the positive things in your life. So your actual worldview, it truly is real to you that there are very there are less and less good things in your life because your brain's not remembering the good things in your life. Mm. And then that starts to become a self-reinforcing thing because your sleep gets worse, because things are bad, and it just goes on this horrible mm. spiral. Oh my goodness. That explains so much about what happened to me when I got I got quite sick for a while there. Um, I ended up on antipsychotics and things. It wasn't great. But the last couple of months of the sleep, well, four hours of stripping the the bed linen off <laughs> is basically yeah. what it was. <laughs> it can start off really benignly, can't it? Like, so you start skipping sleep, you do this, you think you're doing the right thing or you're not even thinking about it, to be honest. And bit by bit, the outcomes are so significantly terrible <laughs> and you don't know what, which way to turn. That's what happens. You don't really know what's going wrong. And that's what that really underlines to me is that it doesn't sound like this is something that absolutely needs an intervention beyond something that what we can do ourselves. We absolutely need to seek help for something like this. Yeah. If we're at that point, it's just not a simple thing fixing it up. If we've got the situation that you described for yourself, it's beyond you doing it on your own, actually, and you need to seek help. And one of those bits of help is getting your sleep in order. 
so that you can build that fundamental in the same way as we when people are in a traumatized situation we like to make sure they eat well we like to ensure that they're exercising well we have to also ensure that they're sleeping well and so for a time that really i mean for quite some time it has to be monitored in the same way as we would the other two pillars of health I spoke to someone once who, on this show, Rosie Waterland, who was really open and honest about what it was to, she checked herself into a psych unit and she was really generous about speaking about, well, this is what happens when you check into a psych ward. And I was astounded to hear her say, oh, the first thing they do is make sure your sleep's right. And the next thing I do is they make sure that you're eating right. And the next thing I do is they make sure that you're exercising. And then there's some therapy. Hang on, what, therapy's fourth down the list? You're in a psych ward. (laughs) (laughs) And to the number one was sleep. Yeah, it is. Yeah, look, I think it's great to hear her story because it's wonderful to know that that's where people are at now and recognise that it's not just about the therapy anymore because our body is simply amazing. And if we get the three pillars of health right, then we can start to help somebody because there's all sorts of pathology that could be going on that we need to treat. But unless we get that underpinning, the the foundations right, we're really going to struggle. Even when we diagnose pathology, we'll still struggle because we haven't got the foundation right. Carmel, there's so many... There's, I guess, you know, economics drives many things on our planet. You know, it's driving us having a podcast right now. There's so many products out there to feel more vital and more at it in your day. And, you know, I had a Barocca today and I'm drinking a cup of coffee. You know, I'm putting products into my body to make me more useful in the awake state. Yet the products that we try to put in our body to get us into the sleep state, some of those, it's, I mean, I've you know, in my time, I've had enough things to help me get to sleep. Some of them, you know, I close my eyes and I wake up again. Oh, it's 10 a.m. Like I didn't even notice that the night was there. Like they just, I can't mm-hmm. imagine my neurobehavioral state with doing anything. It just turned a switch off for eight hours and then back on here, here, here I was again. Tell me about some of the things that we might need to do. Why, why do you think the focus on, you know, it's like we'll, we'll take care of the awake part and the sleep thing will take care of itself. How did we get to that point? How do we get to the point we're not looking after how we get to healthy sleep? Well, see, so we've actually messed up our day so much with all, all the intake. So it, there's a whole hierarchy of things that we need to be aware of because how we spend our day very much affects how we spend our night and how we spend our night affects how we spend our day. So as you know, I know you know that the body is very holistic and life is holistic and everything works in harmony if we let it by and large. So we need to um, come back to the fact that processed foods aren't great for us. They really aren't great because they don't provide the vitamins and minerals. So if we don't have the right vitamins and minerals for sleep, we won't be able to get to sleep. Our body does need to exercise. So if we're not exercising, if we're sitting back in a chair all day and not moving or at the computer screen all, all day, we're actually not got the same desire. Our body doesn't need to put you in deep sleep for so long for the simple reason you're not exercising. So it doesn't, doesn't need to give you something that you're not requiring. We also need to make sure that we don't have too many foods or chemicals that interfere with our sleep. So, for example, your coffee and what. I drink coffee. I love it. It's fantastic. But if I drink it too late in the day, the way it works is that the caffeine actually masks the receptor sites in your brain of this sleeping neurotransmitter called adenosine. So adenosine is the thing that makes you feel really sleepy. It's, It's the thing tied to your sleep drive. So the more adenosine you have in your brain, the tighter you feel, right? But when you've got caffeine, the caffeine hides the receptor site. So the brain can't see the adenosine that you're building up. The marvellous thing is, though, with caffeine, it has a half-life. And once a half-life is reached, off goes the caffeine. And all of a sudden, the receptor sites see how much adenosine is in the brain and says, oh, my gosh, you're really tired. Go to sleep right now. Which is why you can have a microsleep. Okay, all of a sudden the brain goes, oh, we've got so much need for sleep, we're going to sleep. But as we age, our metabolic rate slows. So when you were much younger, say you were 20, 
you could have a cup of coffee maybe at four or five o'clock in the afternoon and it wouldn't affect your sleep that night at 10 or 11 o'clock at night because your metabolic rate is high. By the time you get to my age, what you drink at two o'clock in the afternoon can still be there at eight o'clock, 10 o'clock at night. And so, because your metabolic rate goes right down. And so if you're having coffee in the afternoon, then it can affect your ability to get to sleep or to stay asleep. And similarly, like smoking, nicotine actually has an effect. It prevents you from from sleeping, alcohol. There's all those sorts of things that we put into our body that really has an effect on our ability to sleep well. Two words I never heard until about three or four years ago when people started to kind of talk about it a bit. Sleep hygiene. I, I never knew about <laughs> sleep hygiene until, uh, to, to be honest, until I, until I got sick, to be honest. And, yeah. you know, talking about, no, 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 the, the hours before bed are really important. Like for me, it used to be, okay, 10.35, the show that I always watch every night is finished, TV off, br- brush my teeth, walk to the bedroom, lie down. And that was it. But turns out that's not the greatest idea. Uh, or as most of us do now, lie in bed and just scroll through my phone. Scrolling, <laughs> scrolling, 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 scroll, 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 scroll. Tell me about the importance of the last, the, the time before we go to sleep. Yes, look, I think sleep hygiene is a funny word, isn't it? <laughs> and I actually use sleep routine in, in preference with sleep hygiene. But anyway, sleep routines are important. They're important for all sorts of reasons, not not least of which is we're conditionable animals and we respond to doing the same thing over and over again. But that last hour or two before bedtime is really, really important to how we get to sleep and stay asleep. So the story is mostly around about teaching our brain. This is the time to be nurtured and nourished, but also making sure that our brain gets sufficient melatonin so that it can go to sleep. Now, melatonin is our master hormone, but it's also the hormone of sleep way it works is very clever. So when our eye detects fading or dark light, it sends a message back to the brain and the brain starts to produce melatonin. And in about an hour, hour and a half later, you'll be ready to go to sleep if you're in a position to do so. Okay, so you'll be ready to go to sleep. You'll stay asleep until your body is exposed to bright light, at which stage you wake up and you off-switch production of melatonin straight away, straight away, because you think about in evolutionary terms, it's not safe to produce the hormone of sleep in bright daylight. It would make us incredibly vulnerable. And at that point, when we switch off production of melatonin, we set our biological clock for the next 24 hours. So we determine that from that point when we wake up, about 16 hours later, we'll be ready to go to sleep. We determine when our peaks of alertness are, when our our lows of alertness are. All that is, is set up when we wake up, which is why routine is really so important. Now, what's happened, this system has worked for millennia. And if you think about the last time you went camping, if you go camping, often people report, oh, I slept really well, I went to sleep really early and I woke up early. And they often think it's because of fresh air and exercise, but it's not. It's because they watch the sun go down, fading light, feedback melatonin, off to sleep, sun comes up, I wake up. So we follow the rhythm of the earth, right, which is beautiful. The rhythm of the earth is fabulous. What's happened in the last 10 years, of course, is the ubiquitous mobile devices. And as you say, everybody's scrolling through, working out what they're going to shop for or who they're going to talk to, what's the latest thing on social media. That's before they go to bed. And if perchance they wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning, up comes their phone and they scroll through to see if there's any emails. And, of course, I work with clients who say, oh, I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and I can't get back to sleep. Well, let's work out what you're doing. So that hour before bedtime is really important. And what you need to do is switch off all technology, dim the lights in the room you're in so you start producing that beautiful melatonin, have a warm to hot shower because that sends a powerful message to your body and to your brain that it's now time to go to sleep, and maybe do a relaxation exercise or some restorative yoga or whatever. Sends powerful messages. It's now time to nurture yourself, nourish and restore. So even though I might be looking at some beautiful reading, I might be reading poetry from Rumi on my phone, you know, something glorious and mystical. I might be reading a book on my phone. The blue light that's emanating from behind the screen is shooting a message into my brain going, oh, the sun's still up, man. Sun's still up. No melatonin. Sun's still up. So it's really futile what I'm trying to do. Yep, that's right. 
<sighs> yeah, and, you know, I think it's really terrible that we undertook this social experiment and no one was educated about it. We're all educated about nutrition yeah. and exercise, but we're not educated about sleep. So, so many of us are doing things that are so counterproductive, getting tighter and tighter. Look, the um, prescription of sleeping pills and antidepressants is just skyrocketing. Yeah. And it's obviously not all to do with sleep, but there's a part there that has to do with how you're sleeping. What I love about sleep, and I, I remember in my, in my early drug-taking days, a uh, long, long, long time ago, I don't, I don't anymore, obviously, but I remember like all, <laughs> all the drugs were supposed to make me feel like super awake, 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 awake. And I'm like, you know what would be great? Can I snort a line of sleep? Can I snort a line that would make me feel like I've had eight hours and every like rather mm-hmm. than be all because all these drugs made me feel so jittery and like any kind of amphetamine or something? Yes, you feel yeah. awake, but it's not a relaxed awake. It's a horrible awake. You, you mm. think seven thousand times the speed of sound. You can't put words together because your brain's firing so quickly. It's not at all relaxing. So you know, I joke now that like sleep is absolutely my favorite drug. It really is, and. I love it because it's within my control to get. As we get older, say for example, we're living a pretty healthy life. As we as we get older, what at what stage in, in our lives do sleep problems start to show up? Like lifestyle related sleep problems. When do they start to catch up with us? They can start at any age. We know that a lot of children or teenagers, even your daughter's age, are having issues with sleep, mostly because they don't have good sleep routine behaviors. I just want to go back and highlight something quite important that's not well known about young young women or fertile women. In the second half of their cycle, women need more sleep than the first half. They need up to about an extra hour, but most women don't know that. So they try to follow the same routine as they do in the first half of their cycle. And so they can end up quite sleep deprived in the second half. And when you're sleep deprived, you're grumpy, you're reactive, you're all that sorts of stuff. And then, of course, it can be diagnosed as premenstrual tension or premenstrual syndrome. So one of the things I really recommend for young women is to keep a track of your your sleep and see if it's related to your cycle. And if it is, then maybe put a concerted effort in getting more sleep in the second half of your cycle. It might reduce your emotional ability that you have. So just keep that in mind, and I think that's for everyone should know that it's not highly understood in the further environment in the world, but I think we should start paying more attention to the hormonal effects on sleep because progesterone, which is high in the second half of the cycle, is what we call a soporific. So it actually wants you to have more sleep. So you've got high levels of progesterone, so you actually do want more sleep. So second half of the cycle, as a, a husband and a, and a dad and a stepdad, the second half of the cycle, because I don't have ovaries, is that the one... That's like after ovulation or around ovulation? Where does it begin? Yeah, it's after ovulation. Okay. So it's coming up towards the end of the cycle. So, as you know, if you've been 10 days without, you know, what the sleep that you need or the sleep that the body's asking you for, you're going to get crankier and crankier. Right. I'm only asking because most of the tracking apps, that because uh, we used one when we were trying to bring Wolfie into the world, they let you know the day of ovulation. So you can like, yeah. okay, cancel your plans, go home from work. <laughs> yes, like, that's right. Yeah, so it is after that that okay. you want to start maybe just keeping a track of what's going on yeah. there because it's really quite important. And um, I know I know you mentioned your connection with ResMed before, but they actually have a great program. There's a sleep assessment you can do and it looks at the different ages and mm-hmm. what sort of problems could come in here. And it's a free assessment if you want to go in and have a, a quick survey and it actually highlights things that can be going wrong. But the things that can happen over time is that Women, again, women have life cycles, as you know, that men sort of don't have. And so they have the the pregnancy, which presents its own sleep challenges, the postnatal sleep challenges of both mum and dad, and, of course, menopause. So about the age of 50, about one in two women will encounter sleep issues. And these can be rectified, but you just need to understand that these might be happening and what do I need to do about them and then as we age some of the things that can get in the way is our pain so if we haven't changed what we sleep on for for a while you might want to investigate a bed that's you know older than seven eight years old or you might want to investigate your pillow there's a number of things that can go wrong with sleep over time and what happens often is that 
you know, a minor thing goes wrong. So you make this adaptation that you think is going to help. And over time, we make more and more adaptations. And in the end, they're so all bad, it's just a disaster. So you need to sort of go back to basics, which is why I mentioned the sleep assessment test. Right. And you could even just start with keeping a note, you know, just, just write down like when you went to bed, how many times you woke up that night and when you woke up in the day and how you were feeling. Like just I'm sure you could just do that for a couple of weeks and see, oh, hang on. This is probably not great because you're right. You know, we get up, we go, oh, didn't go great last night. I'll just have an extra coffee and just power through. It'll be fine by the time or I'll catch up at the weekend. What, what happens to us if we, if we just kind of do that for too long? Look, you know, the idea of playing catch up on the weekend is very attractive, but it actually doesn't work. So we do make ourselves feel better. So there's a few things that happen when we try to play catch up. So if we're only getting six hours for five days a week, like the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, then we're not doing all those vital functions I spoke about for five days. And then we might sleep in on Saturday. So if we sleep in on Saturday, say to 10 or 11 o'clock, whatever time, I remember I used to be young and I used to sleep into 10 or 11 o'clock. Of course, when I wake up then, I'm not actually ready to go back to sleep for another 16 hours. So by Saturday night, which suited me as a young person, I'm not ready to go to sleep to one o'clock in the morning. That's fantastic, right? I'm up and partying. So then, of course, I sleep in till 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. And then I wake up, not ready to go to sleep till two o'clock on Monday morning. And I remember vividly thinking, okay, I've had a really big week last week and I want to start bright and chirpy on Monday morning. So I'm going to go to bed early Sunday night. So in the bed at nine o'clock at night, but I couldn't get to sleep, tossed and turned, tossed and turned, finally went to sleep at one or two o'clock in the morning, waking up bleary eyed at 6am to go to work that morning. So it's such a thing these days. It's called social jet lag. And so this social jet lag is really relevant because what happens is you start off on your back foot even from Monday morning because you've stuffed up your time clock so much. So it's really important to recognise that A, you can make yourself feel a little bit better, but B, you haven't caught up on all those physiological functions that you need to do and C, you run the risk of this social jet lag. You might hear an ad here. You might not. Let's see what happens. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. We've all spent, you know, I, I remember when I was in my in my 20s, I went on a trip with my dad and I haven't I hadn't spent a night in the same house as my dad for a, quite a long time. And so we ended up sharing a room and I remember listening to him sleeping. <laughs> And he was in his, God, was this in the nine, late 90s? So he was coming up on nearly 60. And I remember listening to my dad sleeping and then just stopping breathing in the middle of the night. And we've all heard that, like when, whether we, you know, when we go home to spend time with our parents and you can hear your folks snoring and you hear them stopping breathing through the night. And they wake up, are you all right? Yeah, I'm fine. Why do you ask? Because I heard you stop breathing like 100 times last night. No, 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 everything's fine. What happens to the, the people we love and care about? What happens inside their bodies when they do that thing? When we, You all know what it sounds like. When you hear them mm-hmm. stopping breathing when they sleep, how does that affect them the next day? What does it do to those, those neurophysics? Neuro, I fucked it up again. <laughs> what does it do to those processes? That, that, yeah, the, the processes that we go through, yeah. yeah. So what happens, so when you stop, so you're snoring away like that. Yeah. And then what happens is the pressure becomes so great that the airway just collapses, all right? It's just a bit like turning a hose off, twisting a hose. Is that just because we're just old and that part of our body is not as strong as it used to be? Well, a couple of things can happen. As you get older, you can put on weight. So it 
heavier yeah. as you lay on your back, so more pressure. Your muscle tone does go down. Uh-huh. And if you like a glass or two of wine or <laughs> red wine at night, again, your muscle tone not only in your body goes down but also in your airway goes uh-huh. down. So all those things will affect your predisposition or your vulnerability to what we call that sleep apnea. So once the airway collapses, all right, so no air is getting down, a bit like, you know, twist the hose and no water gets through So how do you open that airway? Well, the only way to open that airway is that you've got to wake up. You have to wake up and reinstate the tone because what happens is that it becomes more and more life-threatening because when that is closed off, you're still trying to breathe. So if you had observed your father rather than probably getting so, ah, stop snoring. I I was very cranky. I was very cranky. Uh, Well, that's normally what happens. So if you observe someone who's in the middle of a, a sleep pause, they're actually still trying to breathe. So there's no noise, but you'll see their chest trying to go up and down because they want to breathe, but there's nothing coming through. So by doing that up and down in a closed environment, you're building up this negative pressure. So inside that closed environment, there's a heart trying to beat. So that's just a pump. Now it's beating away. And as the negative pressure gets greater and greater, it's harder and harder for the heart to pump. Okay, so when you're having an apnea, your heart rate starts to go down. So your cardiac output goes down. So your blood pressure starts to go down. And obviously, you're being deprived of oxygen as well. So what happens effectively when you open the airway, so you wake up because it's life-threatening and you open the airway and this big, like a volcano going off, your heart rate goes through the roof, your blood pressure goes through the roof and your cardiac output. So as a consequence, people who do have sleep apnea have much greater risk of developing cardiovascular disease, heart attack and stroke because you can understand that physiological problem that they're encountering. So while snoring is annoying, if it's just simple snoring, It's still really annoying, but it's certainly not as bad as if you're snoring and stopping breathing. So if you're doing that, you really need to get that checked. So when you're saying wake up, I mean, I'm, you know, because I talked to him about it. He he would say, no, 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 I slept the whole night through. Are you saying you just, your body wakes up just enough to get those muscles to go, hey, we're not relaxed anymore. Let's wake up. And they get some rigidity back in them. And then the airway opens again. And then the breathing starts again. Then you start to slide back down to go. So it's not waking to full consciousness. No, you only have micro awakenings. Often we refer to as subcortical awakenings, just sufficient so that your airway can open and then you go back to sleep. The end result though, is that your dad would have had very fragmented sleep and probably not able to maintain his dream sleep or his deep sleep. So they stay in light sleep, which means as a consequence, often people with this sleep apnea have poor memory. They have a headache because they're deprived of oxygen, they're foggy headed, (laughs) poor behavior, all those sorts of things that are related to sleep deprivation. Even though they might spend 10, 11 hours in bed and ostensibly sleeping. So they say, look, I'm not sleep deprived. I just feel dreadful. Because you're also depriving yourself of all of those restorative things that your body needs to then prepare you for the next 16 hours. And you're, you're starting on to be on this sliding slope of never getting ahead of the game. And I'm sure that can have a knock-on effect, as you mentioned, of your immune response and cell regeneration and all these sorts of things. Yes, look, I think because sleep is so important, it really is relevant to consider how you sleep. And so with, just even with sleep apnea, Research seems to indicate that the majority, somewhere between seven or eight out of ten people with sleep apnea don't realise they have it. So then the issue then becomes, okay, I've been told I snore. Is there anything more than that? So maybe recognise that you might be one of those people that have developed sleep apnea over the years. And don't forget, I haven't mentioned this, but around menopause, with the incidence of uh, sleep apnea in women triples triples because they might put on weight they lose the protection of the progesterone and estrogen at menopause and as they get aged uh, older their muscle tone decreases so a lot of women around about the age of 50 have sleep apnea and don't recognize it so just talking to someone about your sleep or your healthcare provider not just saying 
I'm tired or I feel depressed or sad so that sometimes you might end up on an antidepressant. Just say, look, I don't think my sleep is right. I'm not quite sure what's wrong with it, but I don't feel good when I wake up. As a professional and a, you know, a pillar of the community and sleep research, I have to ask you this question. Where do you sit on naps? Because I love it. I love it. If I can sneak a nap in while Wolfie's between noon and two when Wolfie's down, if I can sneak in a half hour, oh, golden. Quite powerful, isn't it? It is. I I love them. I think they're fantastic. But you want to restrict it to 20, 25 minutes. And what happens is that adenosine that I talked about, it's actually actively degraded when we sleep. And so if you feel really tired, you have this 20-minute nap, 25 minutes, the adenosine is degraded. We don't create any more of it. And also we don't go into deep sleep so that a power nap won't affect our ability to sleep that night. All it does keeps us in light sleep and gets rid of all that murky adenosine, which we don't want to have a whole lot of. And we wake up and we're ready to go for four or five hours after that. It's something I recommend for high school students, especially in the HSC year, that when they get home from school, if they get home at 4.30, have a power nap 20 minutes then between 4.30 and 5, get up and do a couple of minutes of exercise, you know, star jumps or whatever, and then you're ready to go for the next four or five hours and then you'll be ready to go to sleep. Why the exercise after you get out of a nap? Because you want to wake your body up. It doesn't have to take very much. You want to alert not just the brain but the body and so that will work really well. Oh, and anything will do? Anything. Star jumps. Um, <laughs> I often use hula hooping. Mm. That's just because the- I like it. That's the best. That's the best. <laughs> Where's mum? Hula hooping. <laughs> yeah, it's just I like it. So it's just something I enjoy doing and it doesn't feel like exercise. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. It's fun. Yeah. I, I actually, when I lived in America, I lived with someone who had a hula hooping company. So there were hula hoops everywhere. I used to, <laughs> I got to a point, I learned how to do two at a time at one point. I was I was pretty happy about that. Two at a time is yeah, hard. Well, that's- that's clever. It's not not that easy to do. I've had to practice in parks because they can go swinging off. You know? <laughs> <laughs> they can fly off. When you're trying to do too much, yeah. We've been talking a bit about kind of older people and, and younger people, but as a guy in my 40s afflicted with vanity, you know, I'm interested in what I can do around exercise and making sure that my body is is strong and that, you know, I can build lean muscle as I get older. And I always find it really interesting that the really serious workout programs are like, you've got to lift this many things, you've got to do this many deadlifts, and if you want to put on muscle, you absolutely have to sleep. Like you can eat all the stuff in the world, you can do all the deadlifts you want, but if you don't sleep, it's not going to work. Now, wh- why is that the case? Yeah, because, of course, building muscles is a two-stage program, and often when we're younger, we think the longer we spend in the track and field, the better we're going to be. But, of course, it's not that. So we can we expose ourselves to building up, like, sort of exercise and strengthening, and then at night, we our growth hormone comes in and makes sure repairs and builds the muscle at night during our deep sleep. So if it's a two-stage process. If we're not giving ourselves enough sleep, the time on the track and field is not completely wasted, but it's not put to its optimal effect because we haven't given it the other time. It's like memory. Memory has the two stage too. It's wakefulness and sleep and exercise, wakefulness and sleep. So everything works harmoniously together. And of course, as we age, one of the things that sleep might feel less consolidated, but if we increase our exercise, the body will give us more deep sleep. So deep sleep is really quite important for building our muscle, but also for good metabolic health because we have our secretion of insulin-like factors during our night. So we have good, balanced metabolic health. So the next day we're producing the correct profile of hunger hormones. So we're eating the right things and not eating the bad things all the time because we, we balance that out at night as well. But also, really interestingly, when we're not sleeping enough, our body will preferentially burn muscle and not fat. Oh my God, you're blowing my mind. The combination is terrible. (laughs) You are blowing my mind here. So correct sleep, because I had to learn a lot about this as well. When I did that men's health thing, I had to learn a lot about my insulin response and my hunger hormones and things like that. Right. Because they all got, they were a bit weird afterwards, right? Because I was on caloric restriction for quite a a long time. My insulin response was a bit weird afterwards and I had a a terrible time knowing knowing when I was full for about six weeks afterwards. It was I just because shoveled food. Because you get um, leptin resistance. Mm, that was the hormone. Yeah. You know the names because you're a biochemist. But <laughs> So are you telling me that 
the correct amount of sleep or, or healthy quality sleep rebalances our insulin response. So the hormones I was just describing, the ones that make you feel either hungry or full in a healthy way, those things rebalance at night. And if we don't sleep properly, they can go all skew if and we can end up doing what I do, which was shoveling or not eating enough. Absolutely. So I think if I bring it back to something really basic, our body wants to make sure we survive, okay? That's all it's interested in. So one of the things, if we're not getting enough sleep, we're not conserving that energy that we, one of the reasons we sleep is energy conservation as well. So the body gets worried we're not going to have enough energy to keep us alive in our wakeful hours to maintain what we call the homeostasis. So it does all sorts of tricks to us. It decreases our metabolic rate. It increases our feelings of hunger. It doesn't want to burn the fat that's going to be an energy source. It'll burn our muscle. So it protects us. It's doing what it thinks it should do, (laughs) but it's not good if day after day after day we're not sleeping well. The end result is a disaster, really. You mentioned that you work with companies to help. I'm guessing you help C-level executive men and women be their very best so they can, you know, be their very best for the, for the shareholders. Um, when you're dealing with, you know, a bullish bloke, let's say in his late 40s or early 50s, who says, Carmel, I don't know what you're talking about. I've only ever needed four hours a night. What do you talk? This has worked for me all the way till now. How do you get the message across to someone like that, that it's so much more than what it is you're doing. How do you how do you even begin to speak to someone who's, no, I've survived this long doing exactly this. Why would I change? Yeah, it's interesting because normally they don't see me without having a problem as well. Ah. <laughs> so they see me for a reason. And so, of course, they don't like the fact that one of the things I might want to talk about is increasing their sleep because often they'll come and they'll have a sleep issue. They can't get to sleep or whatever. But, you know, the fact that I only have four hours is fine, it's fine, 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 you know. But, of course, we can't just do that. So we have to go through the whole process. But normally I'm lucky because by the time they do see me, there is a problem and they're open to the problem. But to your point, it is so difficult sometimes convincing somebody that one of their fundamental issues is sleep. And in fact, I see this a lot when I give corporate talks and someone will come up to me afterwards who's, you know, completely alpha personality and so on top of their professional world, but their relationships are falling, everything's falling apart, their physical health is falling apart. The one thing they've been able to maintain is their professional life because that's obviously what's really really important to them so they come and will talk to me after the event asking questions and they'll be so resistant to the fact well you know basically you need more sleep no 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 that's not in it so and then I say well come and see me sometime I feel like I don't say it I think well come and see me in a couple of years time when everything does go pear-shaped including your career which is what the point you got to right yeah that's, that's what's waiting for you because eventually, as you mentioned, your body's going to keep trying to do the thing to keep you alive and the thing that you've been relying on to allow you to get that extra productivity out of your day is just going to vanish. And that's right. It'll all yeah. fall to bits. But actually, isn't it sad though? Because I'm sure along the way, your feelings of happiness diminished. Is that correct? <laughs> oh, for me? Oh, my God, for me, for sure. Oh, my God, yeah. it was awful. It was awful. It was just, it was an awful, horrible, horrible spiral. I guess people, people listening have probably got to the point where they've, you know, they either gone, oh, that sounds like me. I wake up and the first thing I want to do is go back to bed or they go, I sleep next to someone who, who sounds like the noises you and I were imitating earlier. What's your greatest hits of when people say, how do I get a better night's sleep? When you tell them what you do for a living, what are the things that people can try tonight? There's a couple of things, but apart from the idea of switching off that hour beforehand, a lot of my clients say the things that resonate with them mostly a lot is I recommend that warm to hot shower. I've mentioned that previously. That can be quite a great stimulation for sleep, really. That's really quite important. And the idea of a worry diary, because we live in a very busy world and a lot of us work too many hours and we don't address all the problems or all the to-do lists all at once and we put our head on the pillow and we go start going through it all as soon as we put our head on the pillow or we do it at three o'clock in the morning. So I do recommend at the end of the day, take 10 or 15 minutes to write down in a diary what things you haven't had a chance to address during the day. Importantly, you put it, close a book up and put it away so you can take it to work the next day. The idea is, is that you get it out of your brain. The brain sees it on a piece of paper 
and you know you've addressed those issues so that when you go to sleep that night or wake up at three o'clock in the morning, you can say, the brain can say, look, don't worry about it, Carmel. You've done it. You've put it away. You'll do it. And that is very relaxing. The other thing I think we need to understand about sleep is that when we're awake, our dominant nervous system activity is our sympathetic activity okay so most people know that as a fight or flight response to sympathetic it it responds to what we need to do it keeps our blood pressure higher our heart rate high things like that and it's really good for when we're awake when we are asleep our dominant nervous system is our parasympathetic system and so we decrease our breathing rate we decrease our heart rate all that sort of stuff and allows us to sleep so some people if they're quite alert from a difficult day, and we often have difficult days, we need to help our body get into more parasympathetic mode. And so one of the easiest ways we can do this is through our breathing. And I'm sure you know this as well. But a great way is the humming breath. And um, I don't know if you do I, that. I want to know about the humming breath. Yeah. So what you do is you breathe in and then you put your ears fingers against your ear and breathe out and you go so you breathe in yeah and then you breathe out so just keep your hands on your ears close your ears off and so you hum your breath out and you breathe in and you hum your breath out now what happens when you hum your breath out yeah is it takes a long time for the expiratory breath and so you're slowing your breath down now when you do this you're slowing very quickly, you're stimulating the parasympathetic system. And so you'll notice that not only does your breathing rate go down, so too does your heart rate and your blood pressure, and you're setting yourself up for really good sleep. How many humming breaths do we need to get there? Oh, no, you could do it for a minute, minute and a half, two minutes, not very many. I can't wait to try that. I can't wait to try that. (laughs) What a brilliant idea. Carmel, I, honestly, I could speak to you for a very long time because sleep is such an important and, in, and incredible thing. And it's it's so nice to hear you talk about because it, it was really interesting when Wolfie came along, knowing that in the same way that if we were, we're talking over Zoom right now, but if we were in the same room, I could scratch my arm and your body would go, oh, I should itch too. Like I can turn on reflexes in your body by something I do in front of you, if I, I yawn, for example. And when he was a little, little baby, maybe a year and a bit ago, I could turn on his relaxation reflexes by swaddling him, by holding him in a certain way, by suckling reflex, and he would go, oh, sleep time. <laughs> As an adult, it's a lot harder to turn those things on. And I think you've really given me today so many things that, as an adult, I'm able to then try on myself, which is exactly what I used to do to Wolfie. It was like magic. He could just like that. He would he would go to sleep on his back, bye-bye, good night. So that's really cool. But as well, I'm really grateful that you've spoken to me about some of the things that would indicate that, hang on, things might not be right here and it could be my sleep that's behind this. And like anything on this show I I always talk about is like, are you an expert? No, you're not. Find somebody who is. Go and talk to them and ask them how to fix it. (laughs) It's so true, isn't it? And that's why I think doing, um, as I mentioned before, the sleep assessment with resmed.com.au may really help people work out if they've got an issue or not. And, of course, there's once you know where you stand, that gives you a little bit more autonomy over the problem, doesn't it? And once you do that, because saying to people, I don't sleep well, it's such, you say to me when people see meet you and say you research sleep and they ask you and they, they say this, I don't sleep well, it's such a huge term. <laughs> yeah. Where do you start with yeah, I don't yeah. sleep well? There's so many aspects that you need to drill down to. And once the simple thing that you spoke about, Maybe just start noting down, oh, last night I got four and a half hours sleep or last night I was awake for three hours because you and I both know that we can't remember what we had for breakfast yesterday, let alone how we slept last week. (laughs) (laughs) Factor in young babies and children, the problem gets even bigger. So I think there are some simple things we can start to do, but basically I think we need to start prioritising the importance of sleep in the same way as we prioritise our nutrition and exercise into our healthy programs. Carmel, you're an absolute legend. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I'm sure people are walking away from this feeling uh, pretty excited about getting to bed tonight and having a little hum. (laughs) (laughs) 
My pleasure. Ashley. Thank you so much for having me on your program. That was Dr. Carmel Harrington. You can get her books where you get your books, The Sleep Diet. It was her first book and her second book, The Complete Guide to a Good Night's Sleep. Find out more about the work she's doing, sleepforhealth.net.au. And the uh, she talked about a, an online sleep assessment. Uh, you can do that at resmed.com.au, R-E-S-M-E-D.com.au. I think, that, you know, get off your phone. I think that's the, <laughs> that's the big takeaway from me. Get off your phone. Um, thanks so much for being a part of the show. If you do need to email me, it's real easy. Send us your email at gmail.com. I'd love to see where you're listening to the show. Tag me on Instagram or shoot me an email, just a photo of what you're looking at right now. I'd love to see it. Thanks, Rachel Barrett, for helping me make this show. Thank you, Andy Ma, for cutting all the audio. Mike Mills, for all the great music, and Haley for support on socials. If you need me, you can just shoot me an email. If you need anything else, I'll be back here on Friday. Thanks so much for listening. Until we speak then, and I literally mean this, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.